I invite you to be finding 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. This is our 19th lesson in the book of 1 Peter. You'd wonder how in the world could we look at uh, a little book like 1 Peter and find 19 sermons, but we're not done yet. Uh, we're probably going to end up with about 21 uh, before it's over with, 21 or 22. But last week we started this next section of Peter, uh, and it's chapter uh, 4, verses 11 to uh, 19. And it's divided into two parts, verses 7 to 11, and we talked about this last week, that suffering for the glory of God. And then in verses 12 to 19, or, or 7 to 11 rather, is serving for the glory of God. And then 12 to 19, I gave it away already, is suffering for the glory of God. We ended last week with the thought of doing everything that we do, whether it's preaching, teaching, ministering, uh, help witnessing, serving, whatever it is we do, we need to do it to the glory of God. And Peter's going to switch gears in just a little bit. His, his theme is still going to be the glory of God, but we're going to switch uh, gears a little. Peter understands that severe persecution is fixing to ramp up on these readers of his. Uh, at this point in time when Peter writes this, Nero hasn't gotten real serious about persecuting the Christians. That's about to change. Uh, Nero, the, the uh, city of Rome is going to catch fire and burn for three days. And it's going to burn most of the city. And Nero blames the Christians for that. And when that happens, governmental persecution begins. Now, uh, Roman persecution is sporadic. Uh, it'll start and stop. Sometimes it's severe. Sometimes it's not so severe. But Peter understands that persecution is fixing to get rougher. Persecution is fixing to get stronger. And I don't think it takes a whole lot of tea leaf reading to realize the same thing is happening in our world. Would you agree with me? Amen. Uh, our world is becoming more and more anti-God. It's becoming more and more... I don't know exactly the word may be aggressive toward those who stand up to say this is what the Bible teaches about different things. This is what God says about sexuality. This is what God says about gender. This is what God says about justice. This is what God says about this or that. Folks don't want to hear it. And uh, just like humans of all the way back to Adam and Eve, we humans tend to do what we want to do. And when something is said or done contrary to that, we tend to get aggressive. And I think that may be coming for God's people here today. So with that being said and thinking, I got to thinking as I was getting this lesson together how similar uh, we are hearing this with our ears as Peter's audience was to hear it with their ears way back in 58 A.D. So let's read this morning, 1 Peter 4, beginning at verse 12, and we're going to read down to verse 19. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened to you. 
but rejoice to the extent that you could partake in Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. As we look at this text, I think there are three clues that Peter gives us to deal with suffering that might come our way, persecution that might come our way. And we're seeing it to an extent now. We're seeing those little fiery darts. Uh, someone says, well, he's, he's, he, he's one of those Christians. He doesn't believe quite like we do, and, and he doesn't go to these parties like we go to, or... They don't do this, or she doesn't do that. We get some of that now. But I think it's going to get stronger, and I think it's going to get worse. So how do we deal with this when it ramps up? How do we deal with suffering when it intensifies? And can I tell you, first of all, we need to learn to endure suffering with the right attitude. A lot of dealing with suffering has to do with our attitude and the way that we feel about it. Uh, the first attitude that we look at is seen in verse 12 when Peter says, Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. In other words, don't be surprised when it happens. Don't have an attitude of surprise. Don't think, well... Why in the world is this happening to me? That's what I titled today's message. Why is this happening to me? We don't need to ask that question. A persecution-free life is not a weird life. The weird life is if we don't have persecution. Amen? The weird life, as far as God is concerned, is if we're not getting any pushback. If we're not getting any pushback and persecution in our life, can I suggest that we may not be living life that much differently than everybody else? We're not, our walk isn't different. Our talk isn't different. We're doing the same thing they're doing, so they have no reason to say anything about us. Beloved, don't think it's strange when these fiery trials, these little fiery darts, these little missiles come at you. Because that's what happens to Christ followers. That's what happens to those who are following after Christ. To suffer for Christ, have you ever thought about this? To suffer for Christ means to share with Christ. Jesus Christ came to take on human form. 
He faced suffering like a human. He died, was martyred. He paid the price to be our sacrificial lamb. And when we face some measure of persecution, instead of saying, oh my goodness, why am I being persecuted? Woe is me. Oh, why is this happening to me? We need to say, you know what? I'm being like my Savior. The word Christian means Christ-like. It means being like Christ. Y'all, if Jesus was persecuted, guess what? If Jesus suffered, guess what? We will too. Jesus warned his disciples and he warns us as well. The world hated me. They're going to hate you too. You know, as long as Jesus was feeding people, as long as Jesus was healing people, as long as Jesus was comforting the poor and comforting the sick and comforting the weak, everybody loved Jesus. After Jesus fed the 5,000, they were all ready to make Jesus king, remember? But when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, when Jesus said, I am God, and I'm sent by my Father, that's where the trouble started. And y'all, as long as we Christians stick to feeding the poor, helping the oppressed, feeding the hungry, clothing the homeless. As long as the church does that, the world's going to love us. We're going to be great. Oh, look at that church over there. Look what they're doing for the world. But the minute the church says, the only way to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. The world's going to turn on us just like they turned on Jesus. Amen? Don't be surprised. When I walk around work as the chaplain, some people call me chaplain, some people call me pastor, some people call me preacher, some people just call me flank. But whatever it is they call me, nine times out of ten if I see a group of people talking, when they see me coming, the subject changes. I used to think they were talking about me. And it bothered me. And I've always, it, it was a little uncomfortable around them, but you know what? For those folks at work that aren't Christians, I don't have that much in common with them. I'm going to be different. I shouldn't feel comfortable. How many of you all feel comfortable? in a 120 degree sauna for very long. For a minute it might be alright and relaxing, but in a minute, guess what? It's hot. How many of us feel comfortable in a freezer that's three degrees below zero? We weren't made to be in those temperatures. We are not made as Christians when we're given a new heart, a new birth, a new life. We're not made to feel comfortable in this world. 
The other day, a person at work let out a big cuss word, and he goes, I'm sorry, chaplain. I said, don't, you don't have to apologize to me. I said, I ain't the only one that heard that. Right? Amen. When the persecution ramps up, and some of it's going to be little, but there may come a time and place where you and I have to either make a decision are we going to go along with what work does? Or are we going to stand up for God? And when we make our stand for God, persecution's coming. When it does, don't be surprised. Because it's going to happen. It's going to come. He says, don't be surprised as though some strange thing happened to you. Verse 13, our next attitude, but rejoice. To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. So we're not to be surprised. That's our first attitude. Our second attitude is when we're persecuted. When we suffer for the Lord. We need to rejoice. And I know you're thinking it. So go ahead and say it. Preacher you've lost your mind. What do you mean rejoice when we're persecuted? Why do we rejoice? Used to be a fellow in Buffalo. He'd call me up every now and then. He'd say, Brother Andy, he said, let's go witnessing this afternoon. Let's see if we can find somebody to spit in our face. <laughs> and uh, while I knew what he was talking about, and I knew we ought to go witnessing, I wasn't really looking forward to getting spit in the face. But you know what? If and when it happens, we should rejoice. Because guess what? They spit in the face of Jesus too. And they beat him. And they laughed at him. His own family tried to do an intervention, said he was crazy. They put a crown of thorns down on his head, and they just didn't set it gently on top of his head. They took those thorns and pressed it down into his forehead where he was bleeding and the blood was running into his eyes and the sweat and the tears. They crucified him on a cross. That's our Savior, God. That's who we, if we've been born again, and if we have made Jesus Savior of our life and Lord of our life. This is what we've signed up for. I wish I could tell you that living a Christian life was all cookies and puppy dogs and unicorns and rainbows. One day it will be. But right now, it's hard. Right now it's difficult. Don't be surprised when this suffering happens. Don't think something strange is happening. That's the normal thing that happens to Christians. Remember in Mark, when Peter, it's in Mark 8, 31 and 32, when Jesus has told his apostles that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and Peter says, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. You're Messiah. Remember what Jesus told him? Get behind me, Satan. At one time in Peter's life, Peter thought it was strange 
that Jesus would suffer. Now the same Peter. 20, 25 years later. He thinks it's strange if you don't suffer. He's walked with the Lord for a minute. He's been with the Lord for a while. And he says we get to rejoice to the extent. Now that phrase to the extent. That tells us sometimes persecution is going to be harder than at other times. But to the extent that we suffer for Jesus' sake. That we partake in Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed. Look at this now. When his glory is revealed, we're going to be what? We're going to be exceedingly glad. Because when he, if we share in the sufferings, guess what? We share in the glory. I don't know about you, but I kind of like the glory without the suffering. We, uh, I was part of a very competitive marching band in high school, and we were the state champions, and the first year that we won the Governor's Cup, you get to keep the Governor's Cup for a year at your school, and at the contest you take it back, and it goes to the next state champion. We, we won that four years in a row at my high school, but our band director put it on the podium, and he says, this is what we're working for. On the last Saturday of October, we are working to win this trophy again. And it wasn't easy. We did push-ups. We ran. We jogged. We spent countless hours rehearsing a seven-minute program to try to make our program just a little bit better than everybody else's program. But you know what? When we were all on the field and they were calling out the results, they'd go 8th place, 7th place, 6th place, 5th place, 4th place, third place, and when they got to second place and they hadn't called your band out yet, you're thinking, we got a shot at this. And then when you realize your band was announced as state champions, it made every bit of the work that you put into it worth it. You didn't just get the glory. They just didn't say, well, you know, they won the state championship last year. Let's just give them the cup this year. You got to work for it. And it's whatever that it is you do. Football, baseball, basketball, rodeo, polo, cheerleading, whatever it is. We want the glory. But y'all, to get the glory, you got to go through the suffering. If we're going to share in Jesus' glory, we first have to share in the suffering. First comes the suffering, then comes the glory. So that's our attitude. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Rejoice. And then we need to do one more thing here in verse 14. We need to reflect. That word reflect means to think. It means to think deeply upon. Notice what verse 14 says. He says, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. This is the kind of persecution we take today. Reproach. 
People make fun of you. People laugh at you. People say, think you're weird. People think you're different. Peter says here, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. We need to re reflect on the fact that when we're being reproached for Jesus, the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. We are being an image of God. We are image bearers of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm pretty well convinced that if we're going to be effective witnesses for the world, we better have a lifestyle not only that talks about Jesus, but walks like Jesus, that looks like <laughs> Jesus, that smells like Jesus. Because folks don't care what we say. They watch what we do and how we act. Reflect. On their part, he's blaspheming. They're blaspheming God when they reproach you, when they reproach me, when they make fun of us, they're blaspheming God. That's like the guy that cussed when I, I didn't have the nerve to come out and tell him, you just blaspheme God. I probably should have. But I did say, guess what? I'm not the only one that heard that. God heard it and he was insulted, right? So when they do that to us, they're blaspheming. We're glorifying God. When you serve, when you minister, do it to the glory of God. When you get laughed at for Jesus, do it to God's glory. They can't hurt us. They can't do anything. It's not easy. Nobody likes to get laughed at. But when it happens, reflect on the fact that we are suffering for God. And can I point out, this, this scripture talks about three types of suffering. This first type in verse 14, this is faith-induced suffering. Our faith is going to bring us some measure of persecution. If we're living the life of a Christian the way that we should, if we are truly being Christ-like, our faith is going to bring us some persecution. But now notice, there is a difference in suffering as a Christ follower, and suffering as a sinner. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Some of our suffering in life is faith-induced. It, it it, it's, it, it's the fault of our faith. It's the necessary consequences of having faith in the Lord. But there's also some suffering in our life that we bring on ourselves, ain't there? When we mess up and it's the consequences that we face from our poor decisions, Dave Ramsey calls that stupid tax. Uh, there's, we, we face those decisions. And it's interesting. Look at this, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Oh, that's a bad person. Murderers ought to suffer, right? Don't you suffer as a murderer. Don't you suffer as a thief or an evildoer. They're bad people. But look what he says next. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. When I first read that, I had to do a double take. I'm like, wait a minute. Murder, thief, evildoer, and then busybody? 
That's almost like, y'all ever had those tests where you have like four things that says, which of these does not belong? That's kind of what this verse is. Murderer, thief, evildoer. They're bad people. They're wicked people. But then busybodies. Y'all know what a busybody is? It's somebody that meddles. Somebody don't know how to mind their own business. Why in the world would Peter include busybodies in that same list of murderers and thieves and evildoers? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, because sin is sin in God's eyes. It's missing his missing the mark. That's what sin is. Trespasses means to take a false step. All of that is sin. But you know what's not included? This phrase is not there, but this is Andy Plank. This is Plank's paraphrase. I give you Plank's ponderings in in the bulletin. This is Plank's paraphrase. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody, or anything in between. You got the top of the list, and you may have the bottom of the list, and it's everything else. Don't suffer. If you're suffering for because of your own sins, you're not glorifying God in that. That's not that's a blaspheme against God, just like those other folks were doing. There are some sins that we commit that are self-induced. My grandfather had a little pump-action .22 rifle when we were growing up, just a little bitty gun. And uh, I picked the gun up, and, and one of the first things that they tell you when you're handling guns is treat every gun like it's loaded. Don't Whether it's loaded or not, treat every gun like it's loaded. Just don't, don't go pulling the trigger. Well, I was pretty sure that this gun was unloaded because my grandfather never kept a loaded gun around the house. But I was out in the garage where my grandfather kept the guns, and I was walking in toward the house, and my foot tripped. And when my foot tripped, my finger slipped on the trigger, and the gun went off. And it shot right down by my foot. That may be why I have a bad heart today. I'm not really <laughs> not real sure. But I almost had a self-inflicted wound. Y'all, when we walk through our lives, some of our suffering is faith-based. It comes with the territory. It comes with being a Christian. Some of our suffering is self-induced. Don't be one of those sufferers. There's a difference in suffering for the Lord and suffering for our own wrongdoing. So Peter brings that out. And then Peter says, yet, in verse 16, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If you suffer as an evildoer, be ashamed of that. Don't be proud of it. Don't brag about it. Be ashamed of it. But if you suffer for Jesus as a Christian, don't be ashamed. And can I say that this word Christian, you don't see it often in Scripture, but it is most common, it's it's common enough that when Peter writes this in the later, around 57, 58 A.D., he uses the word Christian and they know what he was talking about. So it's a pretty common nickname. 
we suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but glorify God. Let God know that we know that we're like Jesus, so we need to say, Lord, thank you for letting me suffer for your name. For, he says, verse 17, time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? There are three kinds of sufferings Peter talks about in this scripture. Number one is faith-based suffering, and that is in verse 14. That's our faith leads us to uh, the natural conclusion where people reproach us and laugh at us and, and say we're different. That's one kind. The second kind of suffering is self-induced suffering. It's suffering that we bring on ourselves as a consequence of our sins. And then the third kind, here's in verses 16 and 17, it's the kind of trials and testing that God sends us to purify us. Are you with me? There's some suffering that God sends to purify, to, 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 to make us better, to make us be more like Jesus. I think some sicknesses and some different things, uh, some tests we may face relationship-wise, different things. God may put these in our life, not to punish us, but to strengthen us and purify us and make us whole. We sang a song earlier, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We don't know how strong our faith is until our faith is tested. When I ask you, how strong is your motor in your car, and you say, oh, my motor's really strong. How do you know? Well, I drive it every day. I know it's strong. Well, then I may say, well, let's go down here, and let's get ready to pull out on Highway 96, Right as a car, we're going to turn left, and right as a car is popping over that hill, you go. Let's see how strong your engine is. You don't really know until you've tested it, right? How fast is this horse? You don't really know until you put it either against a stopwatch or another horse. How good is your football team? How good is your band? How good is this? You don't know until it's tested. We, as Christians, are going to step through the fire and be tested. Right now, we are having our fiery trials, Peter says in verse 12. Judgment begins with Christians first. It starts in the same household. Uh, it starts in the household of God. Christians and non-Christians alike are going to face judgment. Now, our judgment as a Christian is not a judgment about salvation. That's already been settled. When we trust Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord, the salvation issue has been settled. But we're going to be judged on how we live our life. Do we live our life as a Christ follower or as a world follower? That's the way we're going to be judged. And we're judged first. But the same fire that purifies the Christian, the lost is going to be judged by fire. It's going to burn them up. Or they're going to face that for eternity. Verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner be? Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we barely earn our salvation? That's not what he's talking about here. 
We can't earn anything. Our salvation is given to us by Jesus. But it took Jesus to give us our salvation. Only what, we're barely saved. The only reason we're saved is because God sent himself to save us. Amen? Amen? If we're barely saved, if the righteous is barely saved, what about the lost? Where's the lost going? What's going to happen to the lost? Let me tell you. Have you thought about this? As a Christian, this world and all of its struggles and trials and difficulties, this is the closest thing to hell you'll ever face. When you leave this world, you're going to the arms of the Savior for eternity. On the flip side, for those that are lost, this life is the closest thing to heaven they'll ever experience. Kind of makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Therefore, Verse 19. When you see the word therefore, what's it there for? All of these things we've just said, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Some suffering is in God's will. And nothing happens to us that's not in God's will. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. To commit means to trust. The word commit would be used, I might say, say I lived in Africa. And I emailed Brother Dexter. I said, Brother Dexter, I'm sending you $5,000. I'm committing you $5,000 to commit to you for me when I get back to Fairview. To be sure I have some money when I get here. I'm trusting Brother Dexter to not run off with my $5,000. And I'm trusting him that he's going to take care of it. When we commit our souls to God, we're saying, God, I'm giving you my soul because I know you'll take care of it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Commit your soul to Jesus, y'all. Rely on God. When you're in the middle of suffering, whether it is suffering as a Christian Suffering as the consequences of your own uh, misdeeds. Or if it's a trial that God is using to purify you. Whatever your situation is, can I suggest to you, rely on God. Commit your soul to God. Because that's the only safe place. The longer I live with the way our world's going, I understand how come my great-grandparents buried their money in mason jars in the backyard. Because you can't trust anything or anybody else. My trouble is, if I did it, I'd forget where I buried it. I'd have to put a big stick right there, and they'll say, somebody else will come along, huh, I wonder why that stick's there, and then dig it up and find my money. Y'all commit your soul to God. All other ground is sinking sand. And notice what he says, commit your souls to him in doing good. If you're in the middle of having a hard time, do good. You know what happens? I, I promise you this. If you, in the middle of your hard times, 
If you'll take your mind and your actions off your hard times and help somebody else, go help somebody else that's doing something, you'll get to glorify God in doing that, but you'll forget about your troubles for a minute. Commit yourself to doing good. Commit yourself to God as faithful creator. Do we sometimes forget God is faithful? I don't think we forget it in our heads, but sometimes I think we forget it in our hearts. God will not let us down. Now, where are you this morning? I've said it before and I'll say it again. You're in one of three places. You're in the middle of hard times. You're getting ready to go into hard times. Or you just got through going through hard times. Whatever you're going through, can I ask you to commit to God? Go through your hard times with the right attitude. Don't be surprised. Hard times are coming. Rejoice. When you suffer for Jesus' sake, rejoice because that's what Jesus did. Rely on God. Trust God. Trusting God, we, we do that when we're saved. We trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But I, can I tell you, that's just the first time you do it. You spend a lifetime trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and your provider and your comforter, and your sustainer, and your, your, your counselor, your physician. What do you have you need to turn over to him?